Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Hey, if you guys like to cook outdoors and you ought to, you should check out the Weber Slate Rust-Resistant Griddle. So this is a carbon steel cooktop that's safe for metal tools. It's pre-seasoned with food-safe oils and ready to cook on right out of the box. It's the griddle that stays ready not rusty. This griddle heats evenly edge to edge, reaching all the way up to 500 degrees. Get fired up for your new Weber Slate rust-resistant griddle. You won't be able to find a bottle of cocoa butter from the Olympic Peninsula of Portland after this. Dude, I'm not messing with power lines, like not even for a horse leather swim bait. I'm not doing that. Yeah, obviously you didn't pay too much attention because it hasn't worked out too well for you now with the thrift shop equipment, right? It appears there are like a shitload of, of casual fish dabblers in Vegas, apparently. And the vast majority of them cannot cast. Bent! Good morning, degenerate anglers, and welcome to Bent, the fishing podcast that cannot eat at Chi-Chi's without pretending it's someone's birthday so it can get another sombrero. I'm Joe Cermelli. I'm Miles Nolte, and I have never once in my life eaten at a Chi-Chi's, but I did just That's do... That's a lie. It's true. That's a lie. It's true. I I saw you put this in, <laughs> and I was like, I never did that, but I did. I did just now do a Google search so I could know what the hell we were talking about, and Chi-Chi's has not existed in this country for, for 15 years now. I don't know if you know that, uh, so it looks like I never Whoa. will get to eat at one. I also have no idea where it is you're going with this Chi-Chi's thing. <laughs> Wait, they're all gone? Like, they've been gone around where I live for a long time, but they're all gone. There's no Chi-Chi's left in the, in the United States? Bankrupt. Gone in 2004, though apparently you can still find them in Austria, the United Arab Emirates, and Kuwait, if you're really needing <laughs> a fix. I can't believe it was 2004 was the last time I ate at a Chi-Chi's. <laughs> Man, that's depressing. You also just kind of messed up my whole plan like throwing this this bummer news about Chi-Chi's. Um, like the very loose theme I was going for with this episode is is frivolous celebration. You know, mm -hmm. like like some mm -hmm. of us used to do that at crappy Mexican restaurant chains. Um, because it's not spring, so we're clear, but it is no. now at least officially March. Yes. And that's at least a step in the right direction. Yes. For me, the, the end of February is worth celebrating, uh, in my opinion. And this episode, it's like... Um, that lame office party you get like right before you get married. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of awkward and everyone encircles you in the common area and you toast <laughs> with a plastic cup of champagne. 
Oh, and, and like, really, it, it, really, it get, really bad cake. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's strange, but like it gets you away from from reality for a minute. But you do still have like TPS reports to finish before you dip for two weeks and have the real party. So like that's where we are in terms of of the show today, as well as like spring. Like it's March. Life. It's not spring. We're getting there. Um, and look for the record, right? Listen, we love ice fishing. Ice fishing is awesome. In fact. Late March ice is some of the best ice. We know mm-hmm. this, but I, I'm just tired of talking about it, and I want my open water. That's what I want. Yep, yep. No, that's fair. I'm, I'm, I'm also sick. Like I do have some open water, but I'm sick of, of when I go find it, having to dodge errant chunks of shelf ice that always drift <laughs> just below the surface, and you can't really see them, and they're always threatening to take you out at the knees, or at least that's, that's my experience. So uh, in honor of of the impending reality that we hope will be spring. <laughs> the celebration! Yes! That's yes. right! Yes! That's right, Ghost of Rick James, and we are ringing in the almost kind of soon-to-be spring, we all hope, by giving one of you some really mm-hmm. cool shit to throw. Mm-hmm. That's right. You need to listen up. You need to pay attention right now. Do not fast-forward. Uh, you know how we've been monitoring those Degenerate Angler and Bent Podcast hashtags on the gram, right? So for exactly one week, there's going to be more up for grabs than stickers for using those, okay? Our buddy Brent Hashimoto of Hashimoto Concepts has graciously donated four packs of his amazing hand-poured soft plastic swim baits plus one of his HC4 hard swim baits to be given to the hashtagger of our choosing. So sweet. You guys are all so lucky. Yes. That's what I'm going to say. And yes. and that alone is cool, but even better, the winner gets to have the paint job on the hard bait done to spec. So mm-hmm. if you want mm-hmm. a bluegill that looks like it just snooted a cloud Cheeto dust, you got it. Mm-hmm. You can have that. Or maybe, yeah, you can. I don't know, maybe you prefer uh, a swim bait somehow themed around the 1984 classic movie Break Into Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> This is what you've all been waiting to see. Electric Boogaloo. That actually was my favorite movie when I was five years old. And uh, yeah, yeah, I competed in the first grade talent show as a break dancer. But whatever your fetish happens to be, whatever you're into, Brent will turn it into a lure just for you. Oh, man, I want you to win so we can do a Boogaloo lure. Um <laughs> You've got between right now on March 5th and when the next episode of Bent drops on Friday, March 12th. To qualify, though, the shot with the tag or tags has to be posted in that time frame. And we'll be monitoring the Degenerate Angler and Bent podcast tags. And we'll post a winner on our Instagram accounts the morning of Saturday the 13th. So impress us with a fish. Make us laugh. Make us gasp. Show us something ridiculous in your garage. Anything goes, kind of. Almost. Almost Almost. anything. If you if you if you regularly listen to the show, you know what we don't want to see. But do surprise us. That's mm-hmm. always good. And and I just want to say huge thanks again to Brent for offering yeah. his talents. Uh, if if you want to scope out his work, and I I really do recommend that you do that. Check him out at at Hashimoto Concepts. His stuff is super fishy, but also it's just it's just pretty. Oh it's just yeah, well man. made. It's just nice to look at. You know, it's gorgeous. Yep. And and perhaps you're one of those people who doesn't really fish lures. That's cool. 
That's fine. Maybe yeah. maybe you're don't, allowed. Don't to tag disciple. anything this week if that's you. Don't tag no, anything. I, I disagree. Yeah. I disagree. Maybe <laughs> you can still appreciate one of those beautiful lures even if you are one of those live bait disciples and and you just have every intention of of rolling right on through hard water into open water with your bucket of minnows. No judgment here. We have you covered too. In this we week's do. installment of Fin Clips, where we tell you everything about a fish you never knew you cared about, Joe is going to shine some light on the fat head minnow. And sure, we've all probably stabbed, decapitated, jig trolled, and suffocated <laughs> dozens, if not hundreds of them. But what do you really know about them? Have you ever really taken the time to appreciate this ubiquitous bait fish? How much thought do you give to the bait in your bucket? Probably not much, right? I mean, you can't wait to throw a shot of that football yellow perch on Instagram, dropping yet another comment about the gorgeousity of the vibrant golds and oranges. You'd change your profile picture to you holding a slab crappie, but never is there social media thanks and praise given to the live bait that may have caught it. So today, I'm shining the spotlight on the fathead minnows swimming in your flow troll. And even though you won't treat the next dozen you buy any differently, you're going to look at them differently while you're impaling them on a hook. Fathead minnows are members of the Saprinidae family. Sound familiar? Of course not. You don't know Latin, but you are familiar with other members of this family, like the common carp and perhaps the barbel. This family also includes true minnows. And see, many people just refer to any tiny bait fish as a minnow, but that's not accurate. Mud minnows, as an example, aren't minnows at all. They're killifish. Glass minnows aren't minnows either. That's just a catch-all term for anchovies and silversides. But fatheads are the real deal, directly related to the monstrous Colorado pike minnow, the largest true minnow that swims in U.S. waters. The fathead's natural range is pretty massive, stretching from Chihuahua, Mexico, as far north as Great Slave Lake in the Northwest Territories. It also extends all the way east to the U.S. coast and Canadian Maritimes. Of course, these days, fathead minnows are everywhere including Pacific Coast bodies of water and drainages, from transportation thanks to their popularity as a bait fish, but also because they are some extremely tough little bastards. Fathead minnows can pretty much handle any curveball Mother Nature throws at them. They can survive in water with extremely low oxygen levels. They can thrive in extremely dirty or turbid water. They can withstand high levels of acidity. And all this toughness, of course, makes them a great bait fish, because if your bubbler dies while you're enjoying the moons over Miami at Denny's, or you're looking for action in that sewage-filled pond behind that Denny's, these little swimmers are going to go strong and perform well. But that toughness actually has greater value than just helping you secure fish fry fodder. The fathead minnow is used by biologists as an indicator species. Think of it as an aquatic canary in the coal mine. Essentially, Fatheads can handle so much more chemical exposure than other species that if the fathead population is getting distressed in a particular waterway known to have any sort of toxicity issues, it's a sign to biologists that things are getting really bad. In fact, the EPA guidelines outline the use of fatheads for the evaluation of acute and chronic toxicity of samples or chemical species in vertebrate animals. And speaking of chemicals, how about this? Fatheads also have something called epidermal club cells that secrete an alarm substance. Anytime those shallow-lying cells are damaged, such as when a predator species bites or eats a fathead, that alarm juice flows, signaling all the other fatheads in the immediate area to swim away or hide. Furthermore, let's say there's a, I don't know, pickerel that just munched a bunch of fatheads. 
That pickerel is now coated with that alarm substance too. So now the fatheads will recognize that particular fish as a threat, hopefully before it gets the chance to eat any more of them. Most good bait shops sell fathead minnows these days, but what if you don't have a good bait shop close to home? Well, perhaps you have a PetSmart. You know those little pinkish-orange fish they call rosy reds that they sell as feeders super cheap? Those are fathead minnows, 100% genetically identical to the bait shop variety. Now, while that coloration trait can occur naturally, it was actually an Arkansas bait fish farm that figured out how to make it dominant in 1985, sending billions of bright orange fatheads off to death by aquarium cichlid across the country. Now, it's worth noting that before using rosies, check your local bait regulations. While unlike goldfish, rosies are fair game in most places, some states or even specific counties outlaw them. Same time, I've also been in many bait shops that sell bright rosies right alongside the natural color fatheads, and I've even known a few crappie and stocker trout fellers that swore them orange ones outfish them natural ones 10 to 1. It's also worth noting that pet shop rosies aren't usually as hardy as bait shop fatheads, mainly because good bait shops actually care about their bait and keep their minnows in chilled water, whereas pet store rosies tend to swim in room temperature or even heated water. Now, both those water temperatures, hot and cold, are perfectly acceptable to the fatheads, but don't be shocked if you take pet store rosies out to the pond in winter, only for them to be shocked to death when you send them down, thereby not dancing around on that hook long enough for you to achieve insta-glory or to produce anything to dredge through that house autry seafood breader burning a hole in the pantry back at the ranch. Who knew that the, the tiny little, little fatheads that you see in every... In every aerated bait shop were so environmentally significant. I, I didn't. See that? <laughs> I didn't know. And dude, that, that alarm response, that's fascinating. It's fascinating. It's also, oh, yeah. if you think about it too much, though, like if you overthink about it, it, it it's kind of depressing. Because like imagine two fatheads rigged up and dangling close together. <laughs> And and one one just catches a whiff of the other one's alarm juices. Like, oh no, I should I should really get the hell out of here. But I got this I got this hook stuck in my face, so I guess I guess I'm just gonna get eaten too. I'm done. That's morbid, and that would suck. Um, <laughs> I I will admit though, I got I got kind of lost researching that one, and it, we we don't give enough thought to our live baits. Like it's good to take a deep dive into what's in your bait bucket. You're you're right. That is true in general. But in this particular episode right now, this week, that is not true because you're bringing in the bait fish by the bucket for this one. Yeah. Uh, If if I'm not mistaken, you recently attended the, uh, the annual bunker symposium and chili cook-off in in Atlantic city. Did (laughs) did you not? Didn't that happen? I did. I did. Yes, and we'll go from tiny sweetwater bait fish to foot-long salty bait fish. In fact, in other good news, uh, striper season just opened in Jersey, March 1. So this is good timing. Uh, Anyway, yeah, every year the greatest surf chunkers in Jersey meet at the Atlantic City Marriott. Or to be more specific, the loading dock behind the Atlantic City Marriott to discuss the state of Manhattan or what we call bunker around here. And it's It's a really great event. It usually runs until 10, 1030 or whenever security kicks everyone off the property. Um, Anyway, it would take me forever to go through all the meeting minutes, but I did get a chance to sit down in person with frequent bent contributor and surf casting legend, Bob the Garbage Man, Breton and Uh, I I want the minutes, please. I think uh, whatever (laughs) the hell those were would be highly entertaining. But, you know, since you're not going to give us those, I can only imagine that that, uh, I'm sure Bob waxed eloquently on, on, I don't know, bunker 
biomass conservation efforts mm. or something, didn't he? Mm, no. No, not at all. He refused <laughs> to discuss anything related to that on record. But I did get him to uh, commit to recording a trivia segment with me. you got to be highly skilled for these f***ing shows. You understand that? Yes, I do understand. Are you well-versed there? Are you very smart man? Yes, I am. All right. Today on Trivia, we have an incredibly special guest. I am actually sitting face-to-face. Yeah. So special, you broke out all this Mickey Mouse equipment from the f- thrift shop for me. You don't like the equipment? This is garbage. I've seen better shit at karaoke night. Okay. As I was saying, I am sitting face-to-face in Atlantic City, New Jersey with legendary striper chunk and expert Bob Britanananuski, who is better known up and down the entire striper coast as Bob the Garbage Man, and it is such an honor to have you here. Yeah. I, I feel very much like I'm sitting in the presence of, of pure greatness. Well, you are, but I wish I could tell you the same. You don't look like you fished a f- day in your life. Okay. That's that's not accurate, but for, for what it is worth, having grown up surf fishing in New Jersey, uh, I, I still, despite that comment, Bob, would say that you were one of my childhood idols. Yeah, obviously you didn't pay too much attention because it hasn't worked out too well for you now with your thrift shop equipment, right? Right. Anyway, for better or worse, you have been catching trophy stripers up and down the entire coast, and you have shared the beaches with with many legendary surf casters over the years. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, if you want to call them that. But most of those guys, you know, they was complete bums. Okay. Regardless, I've got a question for you today that sort of ties into that vast network of of notable anglers that you fished with. Well, 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 hold on a second. Yeah. Just to reiterate, whether I get your question right or wrong, you're still giving me a ride over to the bus depot like you promised, right? Yeah, that's the deal that we have. Because the bus is leaving in 40 minutes. I will honor that deal. And uh, I understand your time is incredibly valuable. Then let's get on with it. Yeah, okay. That's what I'm saying. Here's your question. In September 1982, Al McReynolds. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, go ahead. Al McReynolds caught a 78.8-pound striped bass Mm. off the jetty, Vermont Avenue, right here in Atlantic City, New Jersey, that stood as the all-tackle world record for almost 30 years. Please tell me the question is, do I think he really caught it? That is not the question. What I was actually going to ask. Because he didn't. What I was actually going to ask is who held the record before McReynolds? And I've got some multiple choice for you. Was it A, Tony Stetsko? The answer is Jeff the Janitor. But before him, it was actually Stan the Bookkeeper. And before that, Javier the Russian and Gas Station Billy broke it twice each in the same night. All right. That's not not according to my research. And I'll also add, two nights after Al McReynolds didn't catch that bass, my friend Artie Meldoff caught a 79 in the exact same place. Huh. I mean, I'm I'm kind of basing I was kind of basing my choices off the official IGFA right. records, and, and that's fine. But the bus is leaving in 40 minutes. Are we done here? And just like that, striper fishing history <laughs> has been rewritten. Did yeah. you uh? Did, did you get him to the bus station on time at least? Did you Did you do no. that? No. No, he changed not. his mind. He decided he'd rather uh, me give him a ride to a boarded-up nail salon in a completely abandoned shopping center. So uh, I just left him there and didn't ask any questions. You know, that's wise. That's just yeah. uh, that's just generally wise when it it's comes better to that Bob. way. You, you probably don't want to know the answers, but uh, you know what? 
we're going to we're going to move on from that and hopefully we managed to cobble together some answers that you do want to hear to questions you hadn't thought about because it's time for fish news fish news that escalated quickly all right, I positively have to give a shout out at the top here to listener Ryan Motley. Now, you may recall uh, that I said not long ago, it was my belief that getting lucky the night before a fishing trip in the mm-hmm. bedroom mm-hmm. was good luck, yep. but pleasuring yourself the night before a fishing trip was bad luck. Yeah, that was your contribution to our fishing superstitions episode. Did you have a bop your baloney? Well, I might have some good news for you guys. Okay, because see, Ryan has been trying to catch himself his first wild Oregon steelhead. And when he heard my theory, he decided to put it to the test. And according to him, he even got his fiance on board with this. Like he would give her notice in the days ahead of a steelhead pursuit. And she was game. Like she was down. Like, let's see if this works. Right. But Get ready, honey. He, yeah. But he just he just kept scratching. Like it was not it was not working despite his and her efforts. So then his fiance goes out of town. He wants to fish. So as he put it, he had a date with his right hand in the name of science. And next day, bang, wild steelhead. That's his first one. So it turns right? out you're wrong. Basically, this well, is a no, correction that you're, no, you're giving us right here. It, it is not because to me, it's very obvious what's happening here. Okay. All Ryan has really proven is that my, my theory is reversed on the West Coast. It's like a oh. polar flip. So my way works on the East side. His way works on the West. And consi- I mean- Considering we're talking wild steel here, which we all know isn't easy to catch anymore. No. Every Walgreens in Oregon is selling out of cocoa butter today. You know it. You won't be able to find a bottle of cocoa butter from the Olympic Peninsula of Portland after this. And, oh, and no. I, I also have to I, Ryan, I mean, thanks. However, I also have to say kind of like shame on you because, dude, if your fiance was willing to get busy every time you wanted to go fishing, why, why would you ruin that? Like why? Why would you? Why would you make the? Why would you say all this and ruin that? Yeah, I think right? he's. I think he's making a questionable choice there. I agree with yeah, you. Yeah, because to make it worse, he even wrote in the email, and I'm quoting here: "Now that I've discovered my newfound luck, I'm questioning whether the wedding even needs to happen." Yeah. Dude, no, 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 no. I appreciate no, no. We, so we, that's it. So we best. Dis- we, the one thing we agree on is disagreeing <laughs> with that. <laughs> So best of luck to you, Ryan, but, but thanks for that. Thanks for doing that in the name of science. We all, we all appreciate things. I think more, uh, more, more research is needed on this particular topic. I don't, I don't buy Joe's conclusion that it's a left coast, right coast (laughs) polarity thing. I think that's just Joe's, uh, unwillingness to admit when he's wrong. But I, on the other hand, am, am totally capable of admitting my faults. Uh And when I'm wrong, I, 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 I smell a correction. Yeah. I, I, this one's dumb too. I, uh, (laughs) I, So uh, last week I talked about the the coal mining situation over there, up there in Canada. And uh, I think I got most of the information, like the hard stuff I got right. Uh Uh-huh. But uh, the easy stuff I screwed up. So I completely mispronounced the name of the town around which all this is circling. It's it's, more more town. I know it's called Lethbridge, but I called it Lethbridge for some reason that I don't know. And, and and some of our very polite, silent, the bee is silent. (laughs) Some of our very polite neighbors from the North wrote in very nicely correcting me. I mean, if I had, if I had done that, something in Jersey, I would have got hate mail, but, but no, they're like, thanks so much. It was really great. You know, it's actually, (laughs) so thank you for that. And I apologize for screwing up the basics. Uh, but hopefully I didn't mess up any of the big stuff. 
With that out of the way, the housekeeping done, we are now going to move on to fish news. And you will remember that this is a competition. Neither Joe or myself know what the other one is bringing to the table. And we are trying to compete for the heart and the mind and, uh, and, and really the love <laughs> of Phil the engineer. We're, we're, we're trying to make him, make him love us with our stories. So with that, it's, uh, it's your week to lead off, man. What do you, what do you got? Something good? I think I have some good things here. Um, one is one is poignant, and one is completely stupid. So we'll start with poignant. Perfect. Uh, and we're we're gonna head over to Maine for a little uh, lake trout kerfuffle that's causing quite a stir. Oh and, no! Oh no! Have we? We've done it again. Oh man, we had a good run. We did have a good run. We did oh, have a good run. Shit, we've crossed swords. I'm actually disappointed it wasn't your leadoff because then I would have been like, well, at least I don't have to do two stories this week. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Well, okay, at least we can both talk about it. It's it's bound yep. to happen time yep. to time. Bring it on. I was wor- I was worried about this one. So, um Me too. We fat first found this story uh a little over a week ago. And since the the original drop, there have been follow-ups, and all of this, uh, at least from my sources, are coming from the Bangor Daily News. Yep. Uh, and a few weekends ago, the annual Sebago Lake Fishing Derby took place, and this is an event that draws a lot of anglers onto the ice, and a few days after the tournament, local resident Kurt Christensen went out on the ice and discovered piles of dead lake trout uh, frozen on the ice around where, where holes had obviously been drilled during the tourney. And according to the story, he found more than 100 fish left behind on the ice. And naturally, this infuriated him, and he viewed it as wanton waste. And he speculates that during the tournament, this angler or group of anglers was just looking for big fish to weigh in and discarding everything else. Okay, now just hearing all that, you're kind of like, oh, what a bunch of ass clowns. But there is a little bit more to this, okay? Mm -hmm. So this this is from the story. Technically, lake trout are an invasive species. They're non-native to Sebago. The state stocked them there in the 1970s, and now they compete with native landlocked salmon for food, especially smelt. Earlier this month, the Fisheries and Wildlife Department encouraged anglers to keep as many lake trout as they want. Um, And here's a quote I find interesting from Mark Laddie, a spokesman for Maine's Wildlife Department. It says, while a catch and release message was important several decades ago, we saw more fishing pressure and higher harvest rates by anglers. Present day fisheries rely on harvest by anglers to maintain healthy fish populations and to achieve size quality management goals. The Derby is part of the effort to remove trout from Sebago, Lottie said, so we can have healthy salmon populations. Now, if you missed it, what what he basically just said there in a nutshell was that back in the day, people fished for food. And today, they don't do that nearly enough. And sort of the adoptive, hardcore catch and release mentality, at least at this particular lake, has, has ended up hurting the native salmon population because the Lakers are so much more aggressive. And what, what Lottie also said in the original story is that while he understands, uh, you know, seeing these fish is not, a, it, he says it's not ideal, but in a year with good ice, anglers can catch upwards of 10,000 lake trout at Sebago in a single year. So 100 fish on the ice doesn't amount to much. It's just a fraction, he says. Uh, and to be clear, and I'm sure we agree on this, I don't condone leaving 100 dead lakers on the ice, but I see parallels here with other things, n- namely snakeheads and Asian carp. And when the message you're sending is kill them all because you're helping, uh, certain people are going to cling to that very very tightly. Um, 
And I mean, I can't tell you how many times I found dead snake heads that had been whacked in the head or stabbed and just thrown up onto the bank down here. So you catch them, you don't want to eat them, but the state is telling you to kill them all. So as far as you're concerned, you, you're, you're doing a service and you kill right. as many as you can. But the sad thing here is are, that the you organization- gonna, You're going to get there. Okay, good. Okay. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I'm right. getting there. I'm getting okay. there. Don't worry. Do you do you want to split this one up? Do you want to take over from here? Yeah, can can I can I jump in for a minute? Here? So, yeah, jump so there are, there are a couple elements there. there. There's also I also want to bring in right. You mentioned that this was initially reported on in the Bangor Daily News, mm -hmm. right? And then there was a yep. follow up op ed that was written. Yes, right. Yes, and uh, and and I I feel like I feel like I want to I want to drop a quote in from that op ed because I think it's. It's important to think about this. So, so John Holyoke wrote in an op-ed, and I'm just going to quote him, and this is in reference to leaving those, those piles of fish on the ice. He said, when anglers act like this and show such disregard for the species they're targeting, they cast a cloud over all of us who enjoy spending a day on the water. Many of us love ice fishing, but there are plenty of others who would rather see us all go away. Why? Fisheries conservationists will tell you that ice anglers have the reputation of being game hogs and killing way too many fish. Lake dwellers who live on the shores year-round will tell you that many ice anglers are slobs, mm -hmm. leaving beer cans, trash, and human waste on the ice when their day of fishing is done. Now, I don't totally agree with everything that Holyoke wrote there, but I, I, I think his central point is really important to this story, Right. And so, you know, to what you said, they they were being asked to to remove lots of lake trout from the yeah. system, but leaving piles of dead fish on the ice just feeds negative stereotypes about all anglers and and particularly about ice anglers. So there's yep. an optics thing here at play. It, it is, and I'm actually I know we crossed swords here, but I'm I'm enjoying this because I, I was going to get there too, and I I read his story, and I mean, you know, he was even talking about how. It's common to hear guys say, well, the eagles got to eat. Like, right. we just leave them out here for the eagles. There's there's a lot of excuses flying around as to why you would do that. But the problem is, um, according to, to the story, there is no wanton waste law for fish in Maine. So exactly. it's kind of like from the state's perspective, it's like, uh, this doesn't look good, but I also can't get you for anything because I told you to kill all these. And there's so... Yeah, they didn't do anything wrong. They didn't do anything wrong. L legally it, 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 speaking. Yeah, it, it is pure optics. Now, I'm sure I, we would have both gotten here, but if there's one sort of sad thing about this- Well, before you, before you get into that capper, because I, I want to build this up a little bit thing. more. I've set up the I know. sad thing twice. I, I'm, I'm setting you up. I promise I'm setting you up for it. I'm not going to steal your thunder on it because we okay. totally agree. But here, here, like I feel like we have to put ourselves in the position of those anglers, mm -hmm. right? So you're out there- you're being told by the management agency, kill all the lake trout you can under 26 inches. Mm -hmm. Help us out. Help us yeah. manage this population. You hear that. And you have a banner day. You get 100 fish, whatever, 100 plus fish. I can kind of understand maybe you don't want to clean 100 fish, mm -hmm. 100 small lakers. I, I can understand that. I don't know if I condone wasting them. I don't know if I personally could bring myself to do that. I'd have to be in the situation to really I, know. I, yeah. I could not have. I, mean, I don't think I could, but like I, so, but I, I understand that tension of being like, man, I want to be fishing and I'm catching these fish and they're asking me to pull them out, but I don't know if I want to clean all these, but at the very least take them home, like just dispose of them quietly. Mm -hmm. Don't, don't feed into this perception of anglers as, as a problem. Right. right. 
And so up until that moment, I was, I was kind of like, understand, I wouldn't have, I definitely wouldn't have done what these folks did, but I could kind of understand it. But there's one more wrinkle to this story. That was that a good setup. 100% <laughs> convinces me that whomever did this are just complete and total assets. No yes. doubt in my mind. Yes. Yes. That I, I'm glad I waited. The sad thing that I was just set up for is that the organization running the tournament was fully aware that the state was promoting the taking of as many Lakers as you wanted. So they were set up to take donations of all unwanted lake trout, and they had worked out a deal with a local processing plant to clean them and freeze them. And all of that lake trout was being donated to local food pantries. So now, like at minimum, say what you want about these guys, that's extremely lazy and and selfish. Like, you want to kill three wheelbarrows full? Have at it. But like, holy shit, the tournament is giving you the out for your extra fish. All you had to do was get them over there. All, you can't even be bothered to drag the fish across the ice. Are you serious? Yeah. Like to one, just do the right thing. And for another, donate fish that are going to be used to feed people who need food. Like what's wrong with you? Yeah. Yeah. So if you just took that one element out, you could you could sort of formulate some weak argument, but with that there, like, there's no excuse for that. Uh, no. And I don't know. I don't know if you dug into any of the social commentary on this, but a little bit. It's surprisingly mixed. I mean, you have a lot of people who are just yeah. straight out appalled, but there's there's also some who are like, uh, yeah, deal with it. That's what the state wants. They want them all dead. So yep. it's it's no, a lot more that. mixed. It's a lot more mixed than you think. No, that that guy who initially, you know, broke the story, Christensen, put, mm-hmm. he's the one who put it up on Facebook and you would I would have thought that the people would come together and be like, "Yeah, man, that's 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 rough." But a yeah, lot of like, he got blowback. Like, yeah, like you're 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 talking to deaf ears here. That's what they yeah. want. That's what they encourage. So, I mean, we don't certainly have an answer here, but it's like this weird conundrum and sort of just speaks to mixed messaging. And like I said, I've seen that with snakeheads. When you tell somebody and in some cases with those, it was by law. Like if you catch that, you kill that. Yeah. It's very hard to convert everyone to eating them. I know how delicious they are. Most people don't. If they catch one, it's dead on the bank. I see it all the time. But that's kind of what you asked for. So it's weird. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, hey, we, we had to cross over again eventually. And I that, enjoyed it. It was good. That story was too good. I, I was actually glad to tag team that one with you because yeah. I think that, that turned out pretty well. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. 
pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of sick, sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, is not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at twc.health slash meat eater, but you got to use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater, okay, at twc.health slash meat eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land. Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth. My transition is that uh, is that I'm going to kind of keep us on the topic of of dead freshwater fish. Okay, that's 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 my my transition here. And we this use that transition too much here. We're like dead fish, dead fish. I'll go I, to I dead can tell you fish. about that. What do you got on dead fish this week? Uh, you know what? To that <laughs> po- to your point, this isn't the best. Like, hey, it's Friday and we're trying to have a good time story. But uh, yeah, it's still worth talking about. I'm 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 not apologizing for it, but it's it's not the it's not the biggest. I have one of those. Don't worry. <laughs> oh, good. Okay. Oh, good. I'm, at least we're ending on a sad note. Um, so, a consortium of 16 different conservation groups published a report last week titled "World's Forgotten Fishes," and this one's uh, it's a bummer, man. It it's a bummer. Uh, it also got me thinking differently <laughs> about fish. Usually, when when we hear about fish stocks, like on a planetary scale. It's, it's oceanic species that dominate the conversation. But this report focuses on the global status of freshwater fishes. And it, it's both truly fascinating in its compilation of information about various freshwater fish around the globe and, and their importance, as well as deeply, deeply depressing. So we'll, we'll, we'll go with the bad news first. Okay. I'm prepared to be deeply depressed. There you go. You're, I, I, <laughs> I, you were warned. Freshwater fish are in far worse shape as a whole, than I and, and probably most of us realize. 80 species of freshwater fish have already been declared extinct. And for the record, this isn't like a, an over there, somewhere else problem. Right. One quarter of the extinct freshwater species used to live right here in the U.S. 
And it's also not a, a like a back in the day problem. Like, well, we did terrible things before, but now we fixed them. No, no, no. <laughs> 16 fish went extinct last year. Really? And 30% of all freshwater species on the planet are currently facing risk of extinction. Think about that for just one sec. That's nearly one third of all the things that swim in freshwater at risk of extinction. Populations of migratory freshwater fish have fallen 76% since 1970. And big fish, the ones that grow over 70 pounds and are sometimes referred to as mega fish, are at 6% of their historic populations. So uh, apologies to Phil here because I'm about to make some extra work for him, but I just got to state this plainly. That's f***ed up. Yeah, I'm kind of like, my jaw's hanging. Yeah. This is not yeah. good. This is this is terrible. <laughs> I warned you. I'm also formulating the, questions, but you have, you have more to get through. The, the primary takeaways from this report are obviously pretty damn concerning. But I also learned a bunch of really interesting information about freshwater fishes that I just, I never knew before. For example, despite the fact that freshwater makes up just 1% of the world's aquatic habitat, more than half of global fish species live in freshwater. Yeah, 99% of the water on Earth is saltwater, but the majority of the biodiversity is found in that other 1%. I did not know that. Really? Damn. Yeah. There are more than <laughs> 18,000 different kinds of fish that live in freshwater for at least part of their lives, meaning that freshwater fish make up almost a quarter of the world's vertebrate species. And, and that's just the ones we know about. We're still finding all kinds of new freshwater fishes. Good news for you, Joe. Last year, a new snakehead was identified. The dragon snakehead. Bad news, they live in underground caves in southern India, so I don't think you're going to be casting frogs at them anytime soon. <laughs> I, I saw those. I saw They'll get here eventually. <laughs> eventually. Give, it a give it a couple years, all right? Over the past decade, an average of two new species of freshwater fish have been identified every week. Two fish a week. Okay, but isn't that sort of canceling out? It's like one a week goes extinct, but we find two <laughs> new ones? I don't think that's how, actually. I think we're okay. I think actually, I think we're better. We're better than good with that information. That's how I absorb news pieces, which is why you're so much better at this than me. Good news is we find but, two new but ones. We're finding more. They're not being created. They're, they're not like making two new ones a week. We're just finding them. Still, uh, other fun facts. Maybe you knew this. I didn't. There are five types of freshwater sharks. One in Australia, one in New Guinea, one in Myanmar, one in Borneo, and one in India. Nope. I only knew there were freshwater sharks. I was not yeah. clued into the amount. Five different kinds. And, and, and researchers actually know hardly anything about them except, you know, that they're critically endangered. That's about all we know. <laughs> <laughs> right? So, and, and, and the other piece that I took away from this is, is again, most of the time when we, when we think about fisheries on the global scale and we think about commercial fish harvest or the importance of fish in, in feeding people, we talk about the ocean. Yeah. But without freshwater fish as a food source, hundreds of millions of people would go hungry. This yeah. isn't just like a, a there, there, there's an element to this that is truly impacting communities. Yeah. So I'm just providing you with the highlights of this, this conservation report. And 
you you probably know this. Conservation reports are are just strange documents, mm-hmm. and I, I I know that because I've helped write a couple. They have to do this this very tenuous balancing act, where they describe the situation at hand as as dire enough that it needs to be addressed immediately, but not so dire that everyone reading it will just give up and figure the whole thing's a lost cause. So why bother doing it in the first place? Yeah, yeah. The, these reports need to provide solutions that seem realistic and grounded in research, but not so complicated or detailed that the average schmo can't understand what they're talking about through like a handful of simple bullet points. Right. right? They've got a. This is a serious balancing <laughs> yeah. act. I'm that, that guy. I like a good bullet point. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's it's fine. No, I'm not judging. There's nothing wrong with that. That's New how York you Times get newsletter? things done. Yes. Reading the actual New York Times. <laughs> I don't have time. <laughs> And when you dig into those bullet point solutions on these conservation reports, that's where you usually find the bias of the sponsoring organizations. That's where that's, that, that starts to creep in, right? And that's one of the most interesting parts about this particular report. The primary organization responsible for putting this together was the World Wildlife Fund. WWF is not backcountry hunters and anglers or the Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership or American Sport Fishing Association or any of the conservation groups that champion anglers as parts of the solution. Right. But in this report, they did. Hmm. The report spends an entire section giving props to anglers. It explains how recreational fishing generates $100 billion every year and how much of that money goes into local economies who are the stewards of our freshwater resources. It, it tells little stories, right? Cause again, it's all about storytelling, getting people engaged. Yeah. So it tells a story about the humpbacked Mossier, which has been drawing tourist anglers and their money to India for the past 50 years and how the income generated from those traveling anglers has transformed former poachers into fishing guides. Yeah. The same yeah. people who were once decimating this fish population in order to survive are now incentivized to protect them in order to make a living. And, and the report explains how similar cases are playing out in sensitive freshwater ecosystems all over the world, right? The fact that anglers are important stewards uh, of, of fisheries or that angling is a net positive to fish populations is not news to anyone listening to this podcast. Right, right. But for us to be explicitly recognized in this particular report marks a change in how the more mainstream conservation groups are talking about anglers. They really used to look at us as, as the enemies, right? We were the sadists who were out to torture innocent creatures for fun and yeah, kill of course. But I don't know, man, it seems like they've finally come around. Like I'm not, I'm not going to hold my breath for a sponsorship call from PETA, but I'm, I'm really happy to see that we're <laughs> getting our due from WWF at least. Like I, I, it feels like a turning point to me. I think that's great, man. And I, I, I agree with what you're saying. Like, to have that recognizing that that what we do is is more beneficial than harmful is terrific. But the the thing that that has stuck with me from the the early part of this report, you said sixteen fish freshwater fish went extinct in our country last year. No, 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 no. no. Sorry. Of the eighty fish that have been declared extinct, right? Sixteen went extinct last year. That's what I said sure that's what you said because i thought you said they were they were they were in america no i said a quarter of them were in america and maybe i misspoke of the 80 fish almost 20 yeah no i said it right a quarter of the extinct freshwater species used to live in the u.s 16 went extinct last year you're you're conflating two different things okay it it, it seems like math which too many numbers too many numbers i don't understand let, let me let me break it down simply 80 freshwater fish already extinct 
about right. a quarter, about 20 of those used to live in the U.S. 16 total globally went extinct last year. Gotcha. Okay. Like, what are some of the species? And here's why I asked that, right? Because I'm racking my brain trying to, like, think of one, for lack of a better way to put it, that matters to anglers. So, like, it, it leads me to believe, like, are these, like, you know, minnow and goby type species? Like, what what are some of the recent ones that, that we'd recognize? Does this, does the piece give that? I'm just the, curious. Uh, the, there aren't so many recent ones that anglers would care about in the U.S., right? A lot of the ones in the U.S. are kind of the smaller ones. But um, some of the older ones to go extinct in the U.S., did you ever know of a thing called the silver trout? Surely did not. Did not no. either. It was a native. It was an East Coast trout species, native only in North America. Gone. None of really? us will ever catch one. Yeah. Like, how long has that been? I've never heard of that before, ever. Yeah, it was a long time ago. I think it was in the 30s. But the 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 more recent one like the big one from last year was the the chinese paddlefish going extinct ah okay that was okay. the big one that got news in terms of extinctions from last year but i mean there, there's a whole list right if you look at the study it lists all the ad that have gone extinct and and a lot of them are uh are definitely the smaller things the the dace and the gobies and the, and the stuff you might not notice but not all of them Right, and and certainly not to downplay that. I'm not saying like, oh, it's just Dace and Gobies, like whatever, man. You know, long, long, long <laughs> no as there's still rainbows those. down in the hole. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, and you know, what what can you say? It's great to not be the bad guys in in the situation, but I mean, it's still a pretty depressing situation. It's super depressing. It's super depressing. But I will say, I, I didn't I didn't have time to cover it all. There are those bullet points that lay out. Here are the things that we can do. All is not lost. If we make some changes, we'll be okay. I mean, the big ones are, are pretty obvious. Stop damming rivers and uh, stop using them like toilets and, you know, <laughs> things will get better. Well, that, that's weighty. That gives us a lot, lot to think about. Um, so I'll, 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 I'll end. I said we're going to end with some fun. I'll end with a fish that if you saw in person, you'd want to make extinct immediately like with a shotgun. <laughs> okay? All right. It, instantly. Okay? And this is a... This, so we're on the same page. This is a dumb story. I just can't leave it alone. But it has, unlike what you've just done, it has no value, okay? I, it, I'm, I'm just telling you that now. You will not come away more enriched as an angler, but this just has to be done because several people forwarded me this story, uh, but I have to give the shout out to listener Matt Wagner. He sent it first, so he gets the nod. Uh, and this is making some rounds, uh, but I'm using brobible.com as the source, which is obviously oh, no. as credible okay. as the Washington Post or something, all right? <laughs> so it's one of these. Headline, deformed shark with human face looks like it came straight from your nightmares. Now, I'm going to stop there for a sec because, you know, these headlines, this is the bullshit that's meant to grab non-nature-oriented people. Like, you remember a while back, I had a similar story. It was fish with a human face looked at me funny or whatever the hell it yep. was from Malaysia. Yep. And we did a deformed shark one at some point. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's like, I'm looking at this fish with a human face and like, it's this big news, weekly world news shit. And I'm like, it's a stargazer. What's the big deal? It's just a stargazer. Like, I, I, I like right. taking a practical approach to these. Like, it's not a big deal. And like. The two mouth trout that I swear did not have two mouths. It's little under thing mandible just got ripped out. But I I I I don't gravitate to these. But this one's next level. Okay, this is this one's next level. Uh, so just for fun, here are the opening lines of this article, which I'm reading word for word, typos and all. Okay, 
I don't want to sound like an alarmist with everything that's been happening lately, but it certainly looked like the gates to hell is leaking sea monsters again, and those gates can be found somewhere deep in the Indian Ocean. Okay. Oh, no. Now, now here's... Now, you, you have no preconceived knowledge of this, right? Like, you do not know... I don't. I know nothing okay, about this. Because you haven't seen the photo yet. Just hang on. No. So here's what happened. According to the story, a commercial fisherman near Rodi Ndao, no idea where that is, uh, caught a shark in his trawler net. Normally, the sharks are released alive. But by the time he got this one into the boat, it had died. So he kept it, not wanting to waste it. And when he went to clean this shark, he found that it was pregnant. And inside, there were three pups, two of which were completely normal. And then you had this mutant deformed shark. And it's very easy to describe, okay? So if you just picture like a normal baby shark, like something like a gray reef shark, like a common just shark shark, but instead of its eyes being on the side of its head, they're under its snout, just above its mouth. And you're like, Dude, huh. I swear we already covered this story like three months ago. No. No? Okay, I have to look no, at the photo. Do that, you, don't that you was, remember, like the, it was the same setup. A, a, a guy, a trawler in Indonesia pulled up a shark, died, found pups inside, and one of them was like deformed into a cyclops. So the setup is is okay. exactly the same. It's the same setup, which which tells me that both these stories could be largely bullshit, but this is not a cyclops. I remember that now, and cyclops it had one eye. I remember yeah. that. This is different. Bear with me, right? So so you think like, okay, it's got eyes under under its head, and you're like, oh, okay, that's weird. Uh, and if it were swimming naturally, horizontally, I guess it would just look like a baby shark with no eyes. But the photos show this thing vertically laying on its back, which gives you the illusion that this is a land creature that walks on two legs, and its peck fins are like little arm flippers. And it is one of the creepiest, most f- terrifying things I have ever seen. And I'm 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 sending you the photo right now. I, I want your reaction to this. Oh my god! <laughs> that is not the same um, shark we covered before. <laughs> no, but the story is so similar. It's making me think that we're just getting sucked into fake <laughs> mutant news, sharks, mutant shark like I photoshops. I, maybe I don't know if Either I that care. There, there are a lot of mutant sharks coming out of Indonesia these days. I don't. I don't know. Okay, so here's how, from the story, it says, it's unclear if this shark came straight from our nightmares or if it looks like something that a toddler would make with Play-Doh during arts and crafts time at daycare. <laughs> and to me, that's accurate. Yeah. Like, to me, yeah. I see, like, a Gumby character. It is like gumby Like, we never knew about because it had been, like, locked in a psych ward for decades or something. And it's got like a hint of Casper the Friendly Ghost and like a touch of Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man. But to, to my eye, it's pure evil. And I'll put the photo on Instagram today. Dude, it could literally be the same shark story with different photos that have been photoshopped. We might have been sucked right into that. Yeah. But but this is definitely like new in the news. So no, I, it, I, I believe you. It's a different. It's different than the Cyclops shark. I just the, the setup is so similar that I'm like, mm, I feel like we're getting suckered here. I maybe we are, but I don't care because when you see this photo, <laughs> I implore you to imagine like you've woken up in the middle of the night and this thing is standing in the middle of your bedroom, upright. It that says nothing. Terrifying. It says nothing. It just slowly cocks its head to one side before attacking. It is terrifying and i'm i usually explain away all these natural oddities this one is straight up uh terrifying and by the way the guy who caught it thinks it's lucky and will be preserving it to keep in his bedroom 
Mm, yeah. So that's it. <laughs> I definitely don't want that in my bedroom. So no, it's be, it's become a, he's apparently he's making money from people stopping to look at it. So I mean, good for uh, him. It's probably it could yeah. be a better living than shark trawling over there. I don't know. No doubt. Yeah. But it's a tourism play, right on. Yeah. Well, Phil, I guess Phil's kind of just gonna have to base this off of uh, either our two independents or maybe we both win because we worked so well together on the crossover. We'll see what Phil has to say and then uh, transition into the the sail bin and uh, we'll be looking up in the trees instead of down in the water for this one. For at least attempting to bring some levity into that bummer of a fish news segment, Joe Cermelli is the winner. (laughs) Food waste, extinction, nightmare sharks. I could really go for a river horse segment right about now. Mm. There it is. Oh, we're sticking with the sail bin? Oh, okay, okay. Well, why did you put the head in the paper? You don't know what I'm getting at. Well, you, you didn't have to be so hurtful with me, so angry. All right, so we've got a slightly different spin on the sail bin this week. Normally, we use this space, as you guys know, to make fun of something fishy uh, posted in an online classifieds forum. But thanks to a listener email, we're using it this week to basically give props to a young man's side hustle. That's what we're doing here. Oh, yeah, and and deservedly so. So listener Matt Colley emailed us to tell us about his son, Sawyer. This kid is just, he is our kind of hustler. He runs totally. He runs a little lure racket on his local lakes. Kind of like what you might have heard about some kids doing on golf courses, but just so much cooler. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Before we get into the details, though, this, this story has echoes of a, a fish news segment we did a while ago about birds getting tangled in lost fishing gear. And if you oh, remember, yeah. we, we, we did this whole thing where we encouraged everyone to pick up the shit you find hanging in trees when you go fishing. But I, I think it's safe to say that even the more conscientious and, and frugal of us, we, we tend to stick to the low-hanging fruit when it comes to picking yeah, things sa- out of trees. <laughs> Sadly, that's accurate. I mean, I'm like, if I spy a dangler in easy reach, I, I'll absolutely grab it and do my yeah. part. Um, but I, I mean, I feel like a schmuck for saying this. Uh, but if getting something out of a tree requires like climbing or physics equations or tools, or it's going to take like more than three minutes away from my fishing, I probably float on by. Like I'm just, I'm not built for for tree climbing. So it would have to be like a really rare or spendy lure. And again, this is terrible too, but I'm just being honest. I'm not I'm not really like hard up for lures or yeah. flies. So even if there's a perfectly good rapala up there, I'm not risking like a fight with like with Mr. Gravity who usually wins over like one more original yeah. rapala floater. You I, know? I I, I it's just honest. I I hear that I don't mind a little tree climbing. When I see stuff, I try and grab it, but I, I know I miss a bunch of stuff. The ones that get me are the power lines strung oh, across yeah. the river. Oh, yeah. and Because those always have like the mother load cornucopia of shiny hanging things and mono spider webs. But, dude, I'm yep. not messing with power lines. Like, not, nope. even for a, not even for a horse leather swim bait. I'm not doing that. <laughs> but anyway. You'll fish that, under them, though, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. that buzzing, oh, every, yeah. every power line hole in every river is fishy. Uh-huh. It is. It's really true. You're catching something under there, like a brain tumor. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> back, back to the topic at hand. Back on, t- on, yes. on track here. Matt sent us an email titled Tree Fishing. 
and explained that his son Sawyer is really into retrieving lost lures from the trees around their local lakes, which sounds cute, <laughs> right? Like it sounds yeah. just kind of adorable, but yep. Matt also attached a photo of one of his kids recent hauls and it's not cute. It's jaw dropping. Like it's yeah. amazing. Yeah. He claims in the email that this pile we saw a photo of represents just a couple days effort and no joke. There are dozens of quality baits. Mm -hmm. We're talking like hundreds of dollars worth of gear easily. And, and this is not a rusted out pile of gas station snell rigs. These are no nope. quality brand name goods that look fresh out the package. Like maybe thrown one time right, <laughs> right into a tree. Yeah. I mean, they're pristine. Right. And, and my question was this, how is he getting all these yeah. baits? Like, right. Like these are not lures that people just walk away from, you know, if they're even remotely accessible. And in the original email, uh, Matt mentioned Sawyer only does this in the winter and doesn't get in the water. So I assumed, I just naturally assumed, okay, he's walking the tree line mm -hmm. once these ponds and lakes freeze. Right. Yep. He's, he's using the ice. Yeah. I, I mean, I've seen people do that. Turns out that is completely incorrect because we did, we did a little follow-up and wouldn't you know it, Matt and Sawyer live in Las Vegas. So there's no ice in Vegas, but fun fact, which I didn't know it, but I also don't really think about it. Uh, the leaves do still fall off the trees in the winter in Las Vegas. Deciduous okay? so trees, I, dude. Deciduous oh, I know, trees. but I did, honestly, I thought all the trees there were plastic. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like I didn't even know that they were real. Everything else there is plastic. Oh, that's valid. Um, that's valid. Yeah. So, okay. So the the uh, the real leaves in Vegas do fall off, and it makes the picking better and easier. So Matt writes, Sawyer amazes me with his creative ways of getting lures out. He used to use a 30-foot collapsible painter's pole that he rigged with a few magnets and razors. The razor cuts the line, and the hook would then stick to the magnet, but that got too unwieldy. So now he just uses a cut piece of bamboo. This kid is MacGyver. <laughs> exactly. he's, he's like, yeah. he's like MacGyver and inspector gadget that goes fishing. I'm just super impressed. And, and Dr. Claw, throw him in there. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we're not the only ones who recognize uh, uh, Sawyer's intellect because these are, these are well-trafficked places, right? These are, these mm -hmm. are, they sound like urban ponds. So, you know, obviously people see him doing this. You see a kid walking around with a 30 foot painter's pole rigged with razors and magnets. And you're like, so you want to know what on. he's doing. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, so people follow him around mm -hmm. and then ask to buy the lures he's pulling out. And, and mm -hmm. ac according to, again, according to Matt, sort of keeps most of the lures for himself. Cause you know, he never, he never knows what he's going to yeah. need. Stock up, but he has sold a few back to the people who lost him. He calls it a finder's fee, which is at a boy. Perfect. Yes. Yes. Perfect. Pure, pure Vegas hustle, man. Uh, uh, totally. So good. Yeah. Yeah. And even though, I, I mean, Vegas isn't exactly what you'd call a super fishy town, right? But it does have a pretty big population. And uh, Matt says Sawyer is operating at public ponds that have bass and get a winter trout stocking, which was telling because that that explains the mashup yeah. of tiny inline spinners all the way up. There's like striper sized jerk baits yeah. in a pile, just yeah. an ins like an insane array. Um, but it, it appears there are like a shitload of, of casual fish dabblers in Vegas, apparently pounding the piss out of this water, and the vast majority of them cannot cast at all. Nope. It seems 
Nope. Is, per what Sawyer, per what Sawyer's getting. <laughs> from what we can derive <laughs> from that, uh, it doesn't change my opinion that I have I have no love for Vegas whatsoever. Yeah, me either. Sorry, Matt and Sawyer. Nope. I'm not a nope. me either. It's just not yeah. my place. It's not uh no I have friends there. Love you all to death, just not my place. But if I'm ever forced to go back as I, I have in the past, I, I can tell you I will be skipping the casinos and I will be hollering at Matt to see if his kid will take me tree fishing. Uh yes. Sawyer, we dude, we appreciate your moxie. Uh, and your entrepreneurial spirit. We should mention, I feel like we should also mention that Sawyer offered to send us some of his recent haul. You did specify no, no swim baits or whopper ploppers, which is just sound. Because <laughs> those stay in his personal stash. But I I, I want to respond to that here and say, nah, man, you, we're good. You you have earned those. You should keep them. And be on the lookout for some sweet-ass stickers to boot. Well, Miles is speaking for himself. I would take I'd, the whopper ploppers if he were willing. <laughs> I mean, I'm never going to pass up a whopper plopper. Uh, yeah, good stuff though, man. And remember, if you find something ridiculous, fish or fishing related, uh, for sale online, be it on Facebook, OfferUp, Kijiji, or the dark web, shoot a link to bent at the If we use your submission on the show, we'll set you up with a little bent swag. So in that giant selection of recovered lures, where pretty much all styles of bait were represented, did you happen to notice which one was missing? I did. I did. I had one in particular that that I think was Mm -hmm, missing. mm -hmm. So if you guys want to know what it is, you're in luck because in this week's end of the line segment, Miles is going to tell you all about that one bait apparently not dangling in the trees at that kid's personal treasure trove (laughs) in Vegas, okay? It's a story of a different kind of hustle and the power of internet chatter. Fishy, 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 fishy! Well, that's not loud enough, Bert. The chatterbait is perhaps the only lure in the past 50 years to define a whole new category of baits. The story of this lure demonstrates how the tackle industry has changed, but also proves that new lures don't need high-tech injected mold plastics or robotic inserts to get bit. A chatterbait looks deceptively simple. It's a skirted jig with a hexagonal metal blade attached to the eye. The brilliance behind this design only reveals itself when fished. That blade causes the jig to vibrate and wiggle. It also clacks against the jig head, producing sound and flash. So the chatterbait is like a swim jig, crankbait, spinnerbait hybrid. Like all my favorite end-of-the-line stories, this one starts in a home workshop. Ronnie Davis spent his career as a research and development lab technician at a company that designed tire materials. After retirement in 1998, Davis turned his attention to bass fishing. I guess I'm different than most fishermen in, a, in the way that when I go to the lake bass fishing, there's not a bought lure on the end of my line, no matter what real is. It's something I've created or altered to the point if I'm wherever I'm fishing, the fish hadn't seen that before from anybody but me. For more than a decade, Davis tinkered with the concept that would eventually become the chatterbait. His inspiration came from an early 1960s lure called the Walker Special, a hexagonal chunk of metal with a couple treble hooks attached. That lure didn't really take off, but Davis never forgot how its particular shape wobbled in the water. He figured that if he could find a way to incorporate it into a jig, he'd be able to impart that same movement in a more versatile and weedless bait. Ronnie Davis never considered selling his inventions. He just kind of like building stuff and wanted an edge in the local tournaments around his hometown of Rock Hill, South Carolina. Davis's son, Ron, however, 
saw commercial potential. For a couple years, the two had friendly disagreements over bringing the lure to market. The younger Davis wanted to start selling the baits, while the older was never satisfied and was always convinced that he could improve the design. In 2004, Ron Davis finally convinced his father that the lure was ready. Ron quit his job as a tennis pro and founded Rad Baits. Their first year, the company sold only 5,000 chatterbaits, but Ron had confidence, not just in the potential of his father's design, but in his own understanding of how the bass industry was shifting. For generations, new baits got popular through fishing media. As I've talked about in previous episodes, lures like the Rapala Floating Minnow or the Devil's Horse gained much of their traction in the market from write-ups in national magazines. More modern designs, like rubber worms and spinnerbaits, found their way into the psyche of anglers through Saturday morning fishing shows. Ron Davis was prescient enough to see that bass heads in the early 2000s were tuning into something different on Saturdays. Tournament standings. Ron gave chatterbaits to up-and-coming pros. In 2005, one of those anglers, Brian Thrift, won the co-angler division of an FLW event using the chatterbait. But he didn't tell anybody about it. Afterward, Ron called him, hat in hand, and asked Thrift to please let people know what he was throwing the next time he did well with the bait. Thrift faced a dilemma. The chatterbait was a bit of a secret weapon, something he had confidence in that virtually no one else on the tour had. And as a young tournament angler trying to build a career, that's a significant advantage. But he liked and respected the Davises and wanted to see them succeed, so he agreed that he would. Eight months later, Thrift fished and won his first FLW tournament as a pro on Lake Okeechobee. He caught fish over eight pounds every day of the tournament and had several days where he caught multiple fish over eight pounds, all on a chatterbait. He kept his promise to Ron and openly talked about the new lure he was using. In the next FLW event, four of the top 10 finishers were using chatterbaits. Word spread across the internet almost instantly. In a matter of days, Rad had received orders for a half million units and their projected annual sales went from 100,000 lures to 2 million. There was just one problem. They had no possible way of filling all those orders. So Ron contacted Z-Man Fishing Products, a South Carolina-based company that at the time manufactured and distributed lure components. Rad Lures and Z-Man reached an agreement to co-brand and distribute chatterbaits, allowing them to dramatically increase production capacity and fill all the incoming orders, and this is probably the spot where you expect the happily ever after to come in. But that isn't actually the end. Not really. Remember how I introed the chatterbait by talking about how simple it is? Well, that simplicity meant that just about anyone with basic tools and know-how could make their own. Six months after chatterbaits became the darling of the bass tournament scene, there were 70 different knockoffs for sale, which was a problem for a bait and a brand that was just starting to take off. You remember the, the genius who invented the spinnerbait? Yeah, neither do I, and, and neither does anyone else, because though whoever that was may have been a hell of a lure inventor, they weren't all that business savvy. But see, the Davises, they are. They filed several patent applications in 2004, including a patent on metal blades attached directly to the eyes of weighted jig heads. Though it took nearly five years and a reported $100,000, the Davises were awarded those patents. Ron spent years tracking down intellectual property infringements. Even after the Davises sold Chatterbait to Z-Man in 2008, Ron continued sending out cease and desist orders. Everyone in the business knows not to mess with Chatterbaits. 
In 2016, Rick Clun won a Bass Elite tournament using a homemade chatterbait knockoff. Afterwards, he told the cameras, Now it's cloudy, windy conditions. I stayed with the, I call it the Trickster 2, but it's just a chatterbait copy that I don't sell Z-Man. And in, in, in fair to Z-Man, I like what they do. They, they make you, they, they sue you, and, and they said, I wish all companies could do that and protect stuff in this business. Z-Man went from being a mid-sized lure component maker to one of the big names in modern bass lures. The Davises sold the chatterbait for an undisclosed amount, but enough that Ron will never have to go back to being a tennis bro. His father, Ronnie, is still designing lures and still convinced that his bait, the lure that changed bass fishing completely, can be improved. There's got to be other ways to create the same type action without infringing on the original chatterbait patent. And that's what I've been waiting on for this, this many years. Somebody's got to do it better. So that's all we got for you this week. As you continue counting down the spring, remember, if you catch a record striper, don't bother submitting it to the IGFA. Uh, you won't survive the apocalypse, but fathead minnows will. And all it takes to be a hustler is a bamboo stick or the foresight to patent something before you try to make a buck off it. Nice. Yes. Uh, keep those salesman items, bar nomination, awkward photos, comments, critiques, and uh, just about anything else you feel like sending coming to us at bent at themeateater.com. Yes, please do. And don't forget your use of the Degenerate Angler and Bent Podcast hashtags over the next week could put you on the path to pre-spawn glory with those soft baits and custom hard swim bait from Hashimoto Concepts. I'm not eligible, uh, but I'm going to take back my break into one earlier and say that if I won, <laughs> I'd have the hard bait painted like Tigra. How about you? I'd ask for a magic eye pattern that reveals an image of Willem Dafoe. Hey, everybody knows Weber grills. I've been using Weber grills my whole life, and check it out. They got a pellet grill, the Weber Searwood pellet grill. Now, with a pellet grill, you can smoke, roast, and sear on the same grill. You can go from low and slow, okay, on smoke boost mode, or crank this thing all the way to a heat sear at 600 degrees. It's got a full, great sear zone, so you can put more food on the flame. Get fired up for your new Weber Searwood pellet grill. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. <laughs> 